Welcome to episode 244 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you like Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, I hope that you'll leave a five-star rating and a comment. Your ratings and comments help new people find this show. Or even better, if you know someone that you think will like Stageworthy, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I know told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you tell somebody about Stageworthy, let me know about it. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website with the archive of all 244 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby. And my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is Kelly Wolf. Kelly is a theater maker, a set and costume designer, and an artist educator. She is also the recipient of the 2020 City of Hamilton Theater Award for Established Artist. You're, you're in the Hamilton area, is that right? Yes, yes, I am. Yes, based in Hamilton. Dundas is where like the, the area of Hamilton that, that mm-hmm. I live in, but yeah. And you are a, a set and costume designer. Yes. Um, could you tell me a little bit about, about uh, what path drew you to costume and set design? Sure. Um, I mean, it's a long path. It's a kind of long and winding path, I guess. Um, I didn't know that being a designer was a job that you could have when I was in school, in high school. You know, I knew I wanted to work in theater and I had this idea that I wanted to be the stage manager in my mind. That meant that I was managing what was going to be on the stage. And um, and I, I just went to a regular old high school, nothing, we didn't have a special arts program or any, you know, like drama. We had drama class, but that was about it. And then um, I, yes, yeah, so I decided that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do the, manage the stage. Um, and then I applied to uh, different schools and I, and I applied to York and I didn't, really feel confident or that I had anything to show because I assumed that everybody else had been to some sort of special art school. Um, but I was lucky enough that I, I had good academic standing. So they just invited me to come to their fine art program. And when I got there, I realized that actually I'm just fine. I got there and uh, what I am interested in, uh, I was able to, I transferred in my second year because I realized when I when I met up with the folks who were in the theater program and thought that I didn't have something to offer, that I realized that actually I did. And, uh, and it was actually in that first year that I worked on a project that was a. Uh, I went to York, and they had uh, the colleges there, so I was part of Vanier College, and I worked on a Vanier College production. And because I was the only person who could sew, I was the person who ended up doing costumes. <laughs> um, and then I, I was in the workshop room one day, one late evening, and I was just enjoying myself so much. And I just thought I could just do this 
forever. It was, I was so happy just sitting there doing all of this work. And, um, and so that's when I decided to transfer into the program and they were happy to have me in there because many people who, who were in the program want to be in performance. And I knew I wanted to be in production. So they were yeah happy to have me in, in the production department. I'm curious about, um, a, you had a terminology thing that you sort of like spoke of at the beginning that you thought you wanted to be a stage manager because you wanted to manage the things on the stage. Mm -hmm. Had you at some point heard the term stage manager and made an assumption about what that meant? Or did you just learn something, something incorrectly at school or, or how did that come from? I think I just heard that and, or no, sorry. I just, um, imagined that like I didn't really have a stage manager at school so uh yeah I didn't I just made that up I guess yeah and I realize now that I definitely did not want to be a stage manager because that meant that I would be managing all the people and that was something that I felt quite daunted by so uh when I realized what the real what the real terminology was I made sure that yes I was going to be a designer not a stage manager so you uh, you you found your way into the 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 costume, and then how did you start doing sets as well? Uh, well, I knew that I needed to have a broad um, kind of options for you know as a designer, and and then you know through my training, realizing that you know putting set and costume together and how they relate to each other. And, uh, you know, so that I didn't also want to be kind of pigeonholed into doing only one thing. I wanted to have as many options as I, as I possibly could. Did you have, I mean, in terms of like, it's, it's, you know, you want as many options. Is there one that you sort of lean to as your favorite or do you just, is it the design in general that, that you love? Um, I think they they both have uh, aspects that I, uh, depending on the project, I uh, you know I kind of lean to. Um, I love doing the research and I love finding out about historical parts of uh, the project. But uh, but I also I there are certain times when you know working on a set is way more kind of cost effective because I can design it and I can send the drawings and somebody can build it and paint it and I go in and and confer with people and um, and then once you know once that's done it's it's up and the actors act on it and that's it but with costumes. It means I have to actually, you know, I go to doing the shopping and doing the fittings and, and negotiating with people, right? There's a, a greater human element in in the work that that makes it actually a little more time consuming. And uh, lately, you know, we've been calling it the emotional labor, right? And so that's the part of costuming that uh, that you know takes more effort, more time to to do that, and finding the balance between the two. And um, and so I think depending on, you know, the project being drawn to one aspect or the other, it's kind of hard to say because, uh, yeah, I think I like the, to work on them in tandem, working on them together. In terms of uh, some of the I've noticed on, on your website that you're sort of you sort of started leaning more towards site specific and devised theater. Um, what's. Let's talk about devised theater first. What's the role of a costume designer and set designer as far as a devised play goes? Okay. 
so I started um, doing devising work when I would work with uh, people at Humber College. Um, and there was a really great program for, you know, incorporating all the aspects that the production students were also engaged in a kind of devising process as compared to being strictly in response to a text or strictly in response to somebody else's uh, kind of concept. And, um, and so it was great for me as a designer to be able to, you know, you know, come up with concepts, work with the, you know, the kind of key team so that we were all kind of collaborating together and that I was responsible for the visual aspect of it. And, and in the same way that in, you know, devising for performance, things come and go and things evolve that with the same with design, that things could come and go and maybe go away. And, and, you know, I know sometimes that's hard in a, in a production context because you want to know what the facts are. You want to get it done and you want it built and you don't want it to come back. But um, what it really taught me was a real skill in flexibility and um, and always seeing the end goal as the, the project that we were presenting as what was the foremost. So that it wasn't about, well, I need to have my design completed as I imagined it from the beginning because if it's not serving the piece anymore, then it needs to change just like any other aspect of devised theater. So coming up with flexible concepts, coming up with um, ideas for creating space that had the ability to change or to flex within the actual uh, performance, you know, multi-use items, uh, locations that are, um, that are, that are not highly specific, but then elements can then be, make them specific when, when you need to. So what are those elements, right? And that's the collaboration part. Um, and then costuming similarly, right? I mean, you need to have a kind of a sense of where you're going and, and being able to, you know, find it and fit it and, you know, make sure that the actor is comfortable in it. Um, allowing for that feedback from actors so that if we know, you know, always asking about movement and making sure that they, this is working, you know, for the production so that, um, so that we're all working toward that same goal. And I, and that's what I find. I really enjoy working with people who have trained in device theater, because I think the goal, the end goal is about, you know, creating the piece. It's not about your bit. When you're working on a on a devised piece, are you at the rehearsal? Because like, I know in in the regular course of course of things, the the designer is off doing their thing. They probably designed before the show starts, and and you know they're putting the costumes together and that sort of thing. And 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 it, there's they're not and and any changes that are made are sort of communicated down the line from the stage manager. Right. But in devised, things can change so quickly. Are you at the rehearsal? I, I try to be. I certainly try to be. Um, and, and what we would do is, you know, prepare some things in advance so that when they like, you know, from the first day of rehearsal that the performers have toys to play with and then they start playing with it and we get feedback. Um, and then we were able to evolve from there at a certain point, then I do have to switch over to the kind of hard construction aspect of it. But, um, but at the beginning, you know, I try to spend as much time in the 
in the imagining stage, just like all of the performers as well. Where I was going to go next is just to ask about um, site-specific theater, um, which must pose its own unique challenge as far as design goes, because there are always going to be some constraints about the space. Right. And I think in a way that's kind of what draws me to it because I feel like as I've evolved as a, as a theater maker, that being able to allow the space to be one more aspect, one more part of the, the creation of the project, the, the stories that are inherent in that space, uh, you know, how people respond to that space, uh, you know, gives another meaning to the story to the, that we're trying to tell. And, and I feel like, it's all kind of been leading up to this, right? Like I started in straight, just set and costume design, do my design, and then doing the devised work, being flexible and, you know, working in collaboration and finding new ways to do things. And then moving into site specific, which is almost like inviting the site to be a, part, a character in a way in, in the piece. And that it's, uh, and, and I love it because of the research I do, uh, you know, finding out, the space, what's the context, and uh, and then using that as a jumping off point for creating new work. So um, I like would refer to myself in that context as a theater maker, and uh, because I'm using the set, using the site as a as part of the the storytelling, and then you know asking other performers to join in in the kind of uncovering the stories in that space and finding a way to then relate those stories to the you know, general population in a way that makes them see the space in a new way or uncovers hidden stories in, in the space. And, uh, and so there's not so much of the hard design work that I do, uh, what I would traditionally do in set and costume design, because it's a lot of the set is, you know, is already there. Uh, and, but it means using the set dramaturgically in the way that I would impose that on the set and costume that I would create. It's about uncovering that same. So it's just a flipped version of it. Um, and then, you know, using all of my history of, of how to use design to tell story in a, in an unspoken way, allowing to uncover those stories from the site. Are there particular elements that you look for when you're like, what is the first thing that you start to look at when you walk into this space that a, that a site specific piece is going to be set in? Um, I'm looking for the audience relationship, how the audience is going to be uh, seated, standing, how they are going to be perceiving this piece. Um, are they inside? Are they outside? Um, because it's always about how we are connecting with our audience. Uh, so it's, yeah, that would be the first thing. It's where we're going to put the audience. And because then the space then, you know, it, it, from whatever point of view they're looking at it, it, it starts to resonate in a certain way, depending on where the audience is put. And what kind of work are you doing? Are they, are you, do you, are you usually bringing in lights as well as set pieces I've seen some pictures on your website that show some projections going on. What what kind of things are you are you working with or do you want to work with? Okay, so each project is unique in in the way that I approach it and I try to put together a team of people that 
uh, I like working with or I'm interested in working with or I've admired their work and want to find a way to work together. So um, the one that I can, uh, that I'm sure you're thinking of is the the one, it was called Here, and it was uh, placed in a storefront on Barton Street in Hamilton. And my collaborator, Peter Riedihoff, he is a filmmaker. And so he and I he also loves, you know, telling stories uh, as well. So he and I got together and we're trying to figure out what are the stories that we wanted to tell about uh, this neighborhood. Uh, and, you know, I always like to layer in a little uh, element of uh, politics into it as well. So uh, in addition to, you know, the story of the neighborhood, we wanted to know how people are responding to uh, gentrification in that neighborhood. And, you know, so interviewing people and finding out how people in that neighborhood were feeling. Um, and so Peter was actually able to go around and, you know, take photographs of, you know, kind of before, after versions of certain places, uh, go back in quite a far in back in time to kind of say, this is what this location looked like before there were even buildings here and, uh, and, and layer that in. Um, so that was quite a, and he, was totally in charge of setting up all of the tech for that. Um, I tend not to be overly tech heavy. I find that if it's anything, it's probably sound that yeah. I'm incorporating that, you know, creating a soundscape uh, that, uh, that, you know, kind of ties all of the elements together. Uh, lighting is, you know, sometimes just to kind of pick up or highlight certain faces, but because I want to, you know, count on the site for part of that storytelling, I, I don't want it to be too, you know, kind of become too much like theater. I want it to, so I don't want to see all of that kind of technology happening. Were there particular challenges that you found in working and like trying to incorporate projection into your set and costume design? Uh, so in, in my set and costume designs or in that specific project, the here project, let's talk about the, we'll talk about the here project. Okay. Um, I think for that, it would definitely be the visibility of the actors, right? If we have all of these projections kind of flashing all over people, I didn't have enough lighting to be able to, you know, then light people's faces. We really kind of had to position them into areas where, the projection was light enough so that their faces were visible or or not if we didn't need them to be visible. Um, Peter definitely was the one that kind of set it up uh, so that it um, fit within the, the constraints of the space, so that the, the te technological aspects of it. Uh, so setting the cameras up and making sure that they were keystoned properly like all of that aspect of it, but the, and then, you know, people walking around the space, they're walking in front of things. And so if they are, you know, walk in front of your camera and, you know, at a certain point they all settle down and they aren't, you know, blocking the cameras, but uh, sorry, the, the projectors, but, um, but yeah, you know, you know, trying to make sure that you can't control everything. And uh, there was always a nervous moment of making sure that, you know, that the projectors were were working and, uh, you know, that everything was going to flow. The piece was about 15 minutes long and uh, we uh, ran it four times in a night. So, you know, there was always opportunities to tweak it in between times if we needed to. There's always a challenge when you're working with projection. I did a show about 10 years ago now where we had uh, projected video, projected images as part of our set. And um, 
we also had issues where the computer would sometimes like in rehearsal, the computer just would shut off. Right. And so every time we were beginning to start the show, we'd, we'd sort of be crossing our fingers being like, okay, so hopefully this time the computer makes it through the show. And it did, except for one performance where it actually blew out and we had to go and like get some, some new cables and things. So it was a matter of like running across to the best buy or something to get a, to get new cables. It was pretty, pretty, pretty chaotic, but it, that it's hard to, to, to think about whenever, well, you know, with theater, anything can go, yes. go wrong. It often does. <laughs> and then often when your show and your design relies on a technological uh, aspect like that, that can also be an element that goes wrong. That's got to be a little bit nerve wracking. Yeah, I would say, yeah, definitely. You know, we tried to f foresee all, all the problems that might ever happen. And I think we were pretty good. I don't think we ever had to run it without projection. So, so that was, that was good that that it was all set up you know and and peter he knew what he was doing so so it felt like i you know i trusted him that that it was gonna work out and we had about a week maybe a little bit more in this space which was a little bit different because um usually in the context of the um of the frostbites you you get certain uh, amount of time that you're allowed in the space and that's kind of it uh but because we were in uh it was a uh, a site that was not contained uh it was a storefront and basically we could get in there whenever we needed to we had the key and we could get they had we had free reign of the space so it meant that we had like a real week a solid week in advance to just get in there and take care of technical things that you know, a bit of a luxury in that context, uh, you know, because other other versions of the Frostbites Festival. Yeah, I've definitely, you know, you have to be in there and you're out in four hours because they're shutting down the building. So, yeah, other also isn't Frostbite one of the, it's only often like select like one building to be the space and you work within that building for Frostbites? Yes, that's right. And and what had happened that year is we were meant to be in the Westinghouse building, which was uh, being renovated, it just wasn't ready for public. And so they had to scramble at the last minute to find sites around that area because we had already kind of created a sense of the hub in that area. Uh, and people could do performance around the Westinghouse and there was one kind of main floor access point but it wasn't enough we we had intentions of being on like the seventh floor mm. and that wasn't going to work out because the elevators were not installed and so we um so we have actually found like we were able to adapt pretty easily to the space that we they they found for us it was just a storefront that was not it was up for rent they got a hold of the the real estate agent and asked you know and the owner to find out if we could rent it you know for the the three weeks that we needed it for and so that was kind of a, a slightly different than other uh frostbites where we were in the cotton factory and so you wander around you find a site in the cotton factory uh we were in the art gallery before and then this just this past year the frostbites was at the um the waterfront trust in a in a building that used to be part, like a government kind of ex discovery center building. So, uh, but in lots of glass looking out to the, to the lake, to the Harbor. So, yeah. So we, you know, you figure out and you negotiate with the other teams that are in there, where are you going to have a space and where do you want a space to you know how, again, where do you want to put your audience? And, um, so it was, uh, 
it is some sometimes somehow it always works out you know that we don't have too much conflict about who wants what space now the the thing about changing a space like that because when uh frostbites would have been announced they would have said it was going to be at the 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 western building mm-hmm. and at some point you find out pretty close to the date that it's not going to be ready how much adjustment has to be done at that point in order to fit your show into a new space I think we were still able to because we did um, we I think we found it en- with enough time to be able to change slightly the focus of it. Uh, we knew that it was going to be about uh, the community around and the, the stores and the people around there. There probably would have been a greater historical context to it if we were in the Westinghouse building, you know, incorporating people who might have you know, worked in that building, um, you know, stories of, of yeah, people who worked there. Whereas when we shifted to a storefront, we started talking more to people in the community, uh, past and present owners of, of uh, businesses on that street, went to the the local, the, the neighborhood association meeting to find out what was going on in the community. And so it just changed the focus a little bit because I feel like when you do site specific, it has to be about the site. There's no point in just having a space and then, you know, putting your show in it. It's about you know, having the space be part of it. So, so I think we, you have to be able to respond to the space, honestly. Sure. That is sort of important. If it, if you, if, if your space, if your, if your piece cannot just exist in that one space, mm-hmm. then it's not really that site specific. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's why like then it shifted to being st- about stores instead of, you know, people working in Westinghouse. And we knew that projection would be a part of it because uh, it was Peter and I who were collaborating on it. Um, and because also gentrification had come up quite a lot in the news at the time that was you know the focus the kind of the political aspect that I wanted to investigate so I knew that I could figure out a way to to do that in either context it was just you know who was going to be involved in the story Hmm. is there an aspect of design that is like the thing that you look forward to most Oops, sorry, Phil, I missed that last part. That's all right. Just is there uh, an aspect about design that's that something that you look forward to the most? I really enjoy doing the research. I, I enjoy learning about something new and, uh, you know, getting lost in going down the rabbit hole of, you know, when you go online and one thing leads you to another, to another. It's a little bit like digging for clues uh, so I love finding out, you know, even, you know, when I was you know, looking at costume design detail, like those people in that time, uh, you know, what, what would make what they wore specific to them. And then, you know, then I get lost again in a whole kind of, you know, social uh, excavation, looking into people's history. Um, and, you know, with, scenery as well like looking at how the details of certain buildings why they might have evolved to to the way they have become or um yeah so in just finding out new things i I love that part of it Uh, another thing that you that you do you're you uh, you're you're an artist educator Mm -hmm. so what 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 does uh an artist educator do and how does that what does that look like from a from a designer uh a designer's perspective 
Well, I feel like because a designer has to have many kind of visual or presentational kind of skills, I'm able to transfer those uh, when I'm working with, uh, I work right now with the Art Gallery of Hamilton for a program called In Class. Uh, and before that, it was with the um, Royal College of Music, and it was their uh, Learning Through the Arts program. And so I would go into a class and I would collaborate with, I do still, I collaborate with the teachers to find out if there's a curriculum topic that they would like to incorporate more art into, right? And so I usually do a visual art component. I can also do a dramatic or like drama pro part of it as well. Um, people, Other people do music or dance. So those are the four different um, curriculum um, topics that you can incorporate. And so because as a designer, I, you know, I, I paint, I draw, I make models, uh, you know, I do storyboards or I do all kinds of different ways of visual presentation. I feel like I have a lot of different uh, creative arts skills to be able to offer a teacher to say, hey, we could do uh, something like right now I'm working on a project uh, which is a Dada collage project. And so uh, it's not a theater project, but it's my use my skills of doing research into the Dadaists and I, you know, I my ideas around composition and then we can you know transfer that and they can look at math we are looking at uh, we're looking at um like fractions how you divide up the page how you're gonna you know compose your page uh so so I, it's a really you know it's a it's again it's a fun challenge because i can do research into a certain aspect um and be able to turn that into a teaching tool so that then um that the students can like learn something tangible and you know use their art skills I did a just also did a project like a story weaving project where you know you take different colors of yarn to represent each of the characters, each of the locations, and it's it's very much like making a play too, right? You have all of your characters, all your locations, and they all are represented by a certain color and a certain texture, a certain kind of yarn, uh, so that you could retell that story just by looking at your your weaving. So they're not, strictly speaking, I'm not going in and teaching how to do set and costume design. I'm using the skills as a set and costume designer to be able to expand on the curriculum topics. Now, has this been something that's been possible to do uh, with the schools being closed for the pandemic and, and all of that? Or is this has this had to go on hold? Well, at first it did go on hold. I had two contracts that were just about ready to start and then we postponed them when we thought we might be going back and then uh, and then they just got canceled. So then there was a little break while they kind of tried to figure out how they were going to be delivering content to students anyway. And then um, so recently, so the, the one that I mentioned, the Dada Collage project, so that's a new one that I'm doing and I, um, and as well as a modified version of the weaving project, uh, I need to make sure that the students are able to have materials at home. So I have to sometimes think about how can I modify it in a way that they are able to do it with what they have around the house. And so I, you know, I, it's all, I record, you know, 15 minute videos to introduce a topic, show them some techniques and then say, okay, I will see you in a, or I'll, yeah, I will see you in a, you know, in about a week. Cause then the next 
lesson is an online live Teams lesson. And so they can come with questions and show me what they've been working on. And, um, you know, then I take that feedback, figure out what we need to do next. And then I do another video and, you know, what's the next step in this project? Um, so it's actually been kind of fun. It's, you know, it's like learning something new and figuring out how to adapt to it. And, you know, again, it's like all these things, they are all, I feel like they're all related in that way of, you know, being a devising artist, you know, having to roll with it. You're still there to tell the story, but how are we going to do it? And not getting too caught up in the way I want it to be. So, uh, you know, it, um, so I've, I've kind of enjoyed the new challenge of trying to figure this out. And, and it also has been helping the uh, teachers regain a little bit of engagement with their students because it's, you know, it's almost the end of the year and, and it's targeted mostly, it's at, targeted to elementary school. It's not for high school students. And so some of the elementary school students, I think they, you know, they're kind of getting frustrated with, you know, the level of, you know, what, what they're able to accomplish online. So this was like, Hey, there's a new project coming up and we're going to have an artist come on. And uh, so I think that that's, it's been helpful, I think, to get some students re-engaged, you know, back at the end of the year so that they can just keep going. Hmm, indeed. That's, I mean, it, we're on the topic of the pandemic and, and so many theater projects had to be put on hold and some outright uh, uh, canceled. I'm just curious if uh, if you had any projects that you had been working on that you had to stop working on because of all of this. Uh, I did. I had a project. I had a design project at Drayton that I was working on the Dixie Swim Club, and in fact, it would have been in tech and opening this week. Uh, so uh, yes, that one they you know they've. They, I don't know when, if we will go back to that next year or what's happening. So it's just kind of, that one's definitely sitting on hold. Um, I have coming up though, uh, because I work at Brock University, they've asked me to design their fall show and, um, you know, kind of evolving all the time at, you know, to what degree of, um, you know, how, how close can we be? Will it entirely be online? Will we have some, you know, constructed elements? And we, and the director was really adamant that he doesn't want this project to then turn into a, well, we could just do it from our homes and we don't really need production elements. It's like, we need, we need more support in production because we need to be able to ship things to different people's homes or we need to, you know, provide, um, you know, the backdrops that, you know, whether I'm, you know, painting a whole bunch of little backdrops that then become Zoom backgrounds or uh, so. So that has been, again, a new challenge and trying to figure that out. And we're all kind of, you know, still not quite sure exactly how that one's going to work out. But, um, you know, it's been interesting to see how the medium can evolve and still be theatrical. Right. And instead of comparing it and just going, oh, we've just put everything we're just going to do it online. And uh, but how to use the theatrical medium but it is also online too. It's kind of good that you have the background in devised theater and have <laughs> sort of a practice of, of being flexible since it sounds like next fall is going to, at this point, sounds so flexible that you don't even know yeah. <laughs> what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I have uh, and I have another project that's a kind of a long a, on a long simmer, I think, and it's a and it's a it's a community engaged uh, project, which is uh, been something that I've been working on for the last 
two years so far at least you know with like that's the kind of hard work on it two for two years but then like thinking about it for a couple of years um but it's engaging with people who are have experienced homelessness in hamilton and uh and then so doing um outreach projects as far as gathering information with people so that when we are able to meet again and make theater again that there'll be all this kind of gathered information about how people and in in this moment too how they are experiencing homelessness right now amidst the pandemic and how that it's changed for them. Um, and then, you know, being able to then tell that story, because I think that's one of the stories that, you know, not everybody's aware of, you know, the how difficult it is, is uh, to to be both experiencing homelessness and kind of trying to function in a, in a pandemic amid all the other complications about why you are, you know, experiencing homelessness in the first place so uh, i'm looking forward to being able to start collaborating with people when when we are able to meet again that's Mm. that that'll be the next stage and and that'll be a site-specific piece in hamilton that i'll that i'll work on but i feel like i'm not in a big hurry to just like make it it's this isn't going away homelessness is not going away addiction is not going away it's not like the somebody's going to solve it and my play there won't be a moment to do it uh, but I, I feel like I, I want to be able to do the project justice. So I'm, I'm in a way kind of happy for this moment to be able to really dig into the research part of it. Is that is that how you've been one of the ways that you've been spending your socially distanced time uh, yes. doing research and things? Yes, it is, actually. I um, And so I have been uh, I volunteer with an organization called Keeping Six, and it's an organization that supports people who use drugs and the people who care about them. And um, so when the pandemic hit, there was we used to meet, you know, once a week and have drop ins. And I start I started working with them as a as an art outreach person so that I could, you know, come in and, you know, be a lot of creative people, but now, you know, they're finding a way to access, you know, their own creativity. And then when the, when everything closed up, we decided we still wanted to, you know, connect with people. So we started a street outreach three days a week. So bringing sandwiches and water and harm reduction out to people. Um, And then, so I'm on a one week on, one week off uh, rotation with that. And um, and then also on one day a week, I'm at one of the resting and hygiene centers, which I, they opened so that people could have somewhere to use the washroom or go and wash their hands to get some coffee, get some snacks, and, and then maybe even if they needed to get access to resources. So I'm in there once a week with um, providing um, writing and art supplies and, and, you know, engaging in a conversation, got a mini zine that I use as a template with some questions on it. Um, you know, I, well, it's the title of it is I really wish you knew me and these are things I like, or these are places I like to go, things that really bother me as a way of engaging in conversation with people so that they, they can start to, I can find out about them. And they can feel like they are sharing something of their story. And uh, it's all, you know, above 
for, I tell them that, you know, someday this may be part of an exhibition. Someday this might be part of a, of a performance. Are you okay with that? And everybody has been, you know, interested in, in participating in, in that, uh, in that project. So that has been a great way to both collect research, but also really engage with the community of people that feel like nobody's hearing their story. Uh, so yeah, so that's definitely been how I've been keeping busy. It's like, uh, it's all volunteer, but it definitely feels like I have a part-time job. (laughs) Well, I mean, it is pretty important to, to keep doing things. And I mean, I know a lot of people who, who work in theater have been, uh, struggling with, with keeping, keeping busy in this time. It's, uh, it, it, it has been difficult. Some people were like, Oh, I have all this time to write, but most of us sat down to write and found no juice in the tank because it's just, you can't, you can't be creative when you don't have safety and security and, Mm -hmm. and you don't know what's happening. And there's so much anxiety in the world. So, um, at least being able to, to keep yourself busy is a good thing. What has been the thing that has given you the most joy that's that's helped you get out of bed in the morning that that that's that's just sort of kept you going from day to day during the this this the 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 pandemic? Well, I certainly did have that uh, that first two weeks of like, okay, great, this I will do art every day, and I uh, made a plan with uh, our daughter to, you know, we would get together and we'd spend fifteen minutes uh, making art, you know, trying different art medium, and I posted it on Instagram, and we did our two weeks, and at the end of the two weeks, you're like, poof, okay, done with that, um, and then, um, and so. You know, as far as the the creative aspect of it, or what's getting me out of bed, um, I do feel you know really committed to the people that that I'm working with through Keeping Six, and um, and it is in a in at the same time also really tiring and draining because you know you're out there you're walking around town it's there we work in teams of two that's part of our socially distant part but we work in teams of two you know walking around downtown and delivering stuff but you're also you know absorbing people's energy and and absorbing people's stories so it is kind of that's draining but at the end of the day I feel like okay I did something useful I like that's the part that that makes me I guess get out of bed it's like I'm feeling useful. I, I'm not dependent upon, um, I'm not waiting for my show to come back so that I feel useful. I found other ways to be useful. Well, that sounds, that sounds like a, like a really great way to get from day to day. Um, Kelly, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Phil. I'm really happy that I had this opportunity. This has been a Homebody Productions production.